Today, we'll give you a coaching update, and maybe there are two guys the Charlotte Hornets are zeroing in on. We'll talk about that, plus continue the player capsules. We'll talk about Kelly Oubre, what went right and what went wrong. Nick Carboni joins us as well on the Locked on Hornets podcast. Locked on Hornets, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> Locked On Hornets for part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. They have you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available on all platforms. That includes YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Walker Mail at Doug Brand at Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson LOH. The show handle at Locked On Hornets and Nick on Twitter. Nick Carboni of WCNC. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Carboni WCNC. It's been a while, man. How you been? I'm good. Just uh, trying to cruise into the slow time of the year. If there is one in covering Charlotte sports, but uh, obviously the Hornets are keeping us busy and keeping us guessing a little bit too. So it's been interesting, been interesting month since, well, three weeks since James Borrego got fired. It has been an interesting month. Yeah. So no, you go to the Carolina Panthers draft and now here we are where the Charlotte Hornets aren't even done because we're still looking for a new coach for this organization. And it's weird, right? We, it's not that the timing is so spectacular. It's just that we thought if James Brago was going to be gone, it might happen immediately after that play in game, but it happened, I believe nine days after the season ended, we still don't have a new coach here in Charlotte. The Sacramento Kings have named one and Mike Brown, but he was never a part of the process here there is somewhat of a coaching update Danny on the chat tweeted at us Doug what's the coaching update that he gave us when listening to Jake Fisher's podcast well on Jake Fisher's podcast which is uh, titled please don't aggregate this uh sorry Jake exactly what we're gonna do (laughs) listen you can't drop juicy tidbits like I'm gonna tell you that he dropped uh and expect it not to be aggregated by podcasts like ours Uh, so on his podcast he was discussing some of the coaching rumor mill and apparently There are whispers that the Hornets may be willing to not only uh, give their new head coach head coaching responsibilities, but also general management responsibilities. We know Mitch Kupchak's future is in question. He's unquestionably part of this process, but will he be the general manager moving forward? Will he move to another role within the organization? We don't know that definitively yet. Jake Fisher saying uh, that uh, Michael Jordan and company opening open to opening the pocketbook as well, that they're looking to spend here. And that's a positive. I think that's a positive note. And yeah. uh, he lists Dan Tony as the name to watch uh, that, that, that that's where the heavy conversation is happening right now. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on this, you know, with, with that happening, it, it, it immediately takes me back to the past two regimes, Rich Cho and Steve Clifford, Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego. You know, it looks like there might have been some, not fights, so to say, but some disagreements between James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak, particularly at the center position that we talk about so much. JB always wanted that guy. Mitch Kupchak decided to shop at the bargain bin, try to get some prospects through the draft, and it just never worked out to the point where JB was comfortable with that center rotation. So you had that happen. Of course, this was all coming off of 
the absolute fighting that took place between Rich Cho and Steve Clifford, where it is well-documented, it is well-reported. Those two did not see eye-to-eye. There was an analytics against the old traditional, against I want this player, you want that player. There was that whole fight. And I wonder if Michael Jordan is just tired of it. I wonder if the Charlotte Hornets are just, look, no more of this not being on the same page. Mitch Kupchak, you help me figure out what guy you think can take this organization to the next step. You take the old man advisory role because you've been in the game too long. It's done. We want to move on to a fresh start and you can just be a part of the organization, but you're not going to be the head decision maker. I wonder if that plays a part in all of this. Nick, what do you think of when you hear maybe that update from Jake Fisher? I think the interesting part to me and you guys kind of noted it noted it is willing to spend all that money and give somebody all that control. Is that going to be a continued pattern for Michael Jordan as an owner with this new coach? Because that's obviously something we haven't seen. Is he going to now be more willing to dip into the luxury tax and spend for free agents and spend for his own players with miles bridges up and give that new coach with all that control, you know, the, the ingredients that he's going to think he needs. And, you know, it, it just seemed like Darvin Ham was maybe a little bit getting getting a little bit out of reach and maybe the Lakers were going to be the ones to kind of land him. Yeah. So maybe this puts Michael Jordan and the Hornets back in play by offering this up. And with D'Antoni, I mean, it's, if you're going to get, you know, and, and I know, and I'm sure we'll break it down, the positives and negatives of him as a coach, but if you're going to get a name that big, if you're going to get somebody that has kind of just been chilling for a few years to come back and take over a team that isn't, you know, just destined to make the Eastern Conference Finals, you got to you got to throw something else his way as well. So look, here's the deal. Part of this scares me because the head coach slash GM role has so rarely worked in the NBA. I mean, I think Greg Popovich in San Antonio is the list, and there's a sort of a weird relationship there with with Pop and R.C. Buford and who's doing what. Uh, but you can name a number of examples where that whole role has been criticized or has failed spectacularly. Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta, you know, they were able to get some success, but ultimately it didn't work out. And Doc Rivers, I mean, it's failed spectacularly in a few of those instances. And I just think there's too much conflict of interest. There might be just too much responsibility in, in both of those roles. And uh, that part scares me. But It might be the only card that Charlotte has to play to convince a big name like a Mike D'Antoni or a Darvin Ham to come to Charlotte. I mean, there is a little bit of convincing that has to happen for Charlotte to get someone to choose uh, their organization over, you know, one of these more vaunted jobs like a Lakers job. Uh, So I like the idea that they're willing to play this card. I like the idea that uh, from Jake Fisher that Charlotte is willing to open up the pocketbooks because I feel like that's one area where, you know, the the ownership can exert some control over a situation by paying a lot of money and not hurt the team long term. Yeah, I I understand the trying to put, you know, trying to put glitter on this job that is the Charlotte Hornets, where it's not a bad one. I don't mean it like that. It's just it's a small market, right? You're kind of talking about wanting to give this coach more power in order to draw them in and see this job as more attractive than maybe what it really is. I still don't like it. I don't I, I never like really in any sport giving any one person the head coaching title along with the GM title because the decisions are so many times affected by one hat that you have to put on. 
for instance, you get to the NBA draft and let's say the most talented guy on the board is a position where you already have that kind of taken care of, but he's clearly more talented than everybody. Well, you need a center and we just need to go ahead and get what the best center is on the board. And it's going to help me, I think, win more games and not necessarily look towards the future. Me as the head coach, along with this GM title, I'm just going to go ahead and take that guy to help me win more games this season. So many times, too, if you have the pressure on you, and it reminds me of Stan Van Gundy, who had this type of responsibility up with Detroit. He had this responsibility. They make that trade for Blake Griffin. I didn't love the trade when it happened. They get to an eight seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and then he's bounced but he's sold out to try to win right then and there. So it's not going to be nearly as much of a problem in year one, maybe year two, but if that pressure is ramped up and look, if the Charlotte Hornets are looking to win right now from upper management, the pressure is going to be immediately here. Like James Brega won 43 games and got bounced. So maybe it is by year two. And then by that point, you're making decisions for the now and sacrificing the future. Like this head coach is going to have responsibility over how he, how he is able to give out picks. Like that's, that's what I don't want. And that's what always makes me a little scared about this thing. Yeah. I mean, it kicking it down to 800 South mint street here in Charlotte hasn't worked there over the first two years of Matt rules regime. And you already see them kind of tailoring that back and giving more responsibility to the actual general manager that they hired. But from a basketball standpoint, I'll build off Walker with what you just said, the responsibilities in year one for this incoming head coach, the tasks at hand are pretty tall. I mean, get to the playoffs, no doubt year one and build a situation in which LaMelo ball can thrive as a superstar in this league and carry this franchise forward. So you're right. You're almost dancing two dances at once, trying to win right now, get to the playoffs right now, but also make sure you make noise in the playoffs and get to a, you know, a, a contending level team in the next two or three years. It's hard to dance two dances at once. I've tried it to is. dance one dance at once and um, it's, that's difficult I can't do enough. one at a wedding. So, I mean, right. I can't imagine so, coming in and trying to do that. So two is tough. Listen, this whole thing scares me, but I'm ready to be scared. Okay. I'm ready to, I'm ready to win 50 games. And I think to win 50 games, you have to take risks. You have to be scary sometimes. And I'm, I'm ready to be scared. I think to me, what the one thing we, I think we do know if this, if, if these whispers are true, if the rumors are true, and they are willing to give out that role. To me, that means they are targeting Mike D'Antoni. I just think that means he's he number one on the list. You, I know Walker. You said that Darvin Ham, you know, include that name as well. But I just, to me, this just just screams Mike D'Antoni. No, and Mike D'Antoni is going to be up there. I think it's probably those two. So out of all of the coaching candidates that we've looked at, a David Vanderpool, um, I, Mark Jackson's only been linked in the fact that LaMelo Ball was interested, that his camp was. There hasn't been any interest, I think, from the Charlotte Hornets standpoint, as far as what I've seen. But a Charles Lee, a Sean Sweeney, yet none of those guys fit that bill of, hey, let's just throw all of this responsibility out of it. It's Mike D'Antoni and it's Darvin Ham, who has been such a hot candidate for the past three, four years, he's been trying to pick his spot. And if they want him to pick this spot, then they say, hey, you have control over this too. You get to do whatever you want with this team. And so you're right. Mike D'Antoni, Darvin Ham, at least in my opinion, looks like your guys too. Those would be the two guys to take note of. All right, coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're going to talk maybe a little more about the 
coaching search, a couple of things I want to finish up on, but also we'll continue the player capsules. Kelly Oubre, how would we evaluate his past season? That's coming up next, but not before we talk about athletic greens. So you ask, what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of those things. It's lifestyle-friendly, too, whether whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it helps you in any of those facets. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We'll talk a little more about the coaching search, but also how did Kelly Oubre play this past season? Coming up next, Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Then I clicked on M. Thomas. I'm like, who in the hell is M. Thomas? Matt Thomas is his oh, name. Oh, NBA legend, Matty Thomas. <laughs> he, he, Matt he Thomas. Didn't play at all. I'm pretty sure Matt Thomas <laughs> served me at an Applebee's the other day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Nick, as a respected member of this group of Charlotte Media, <laughs> who is the guy that you would most want to talk to? as the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Would it be a Mike D'Antoni? I guess we don't know much about the assistant coaches, but I feel like Mike D'Antoni... Do you want to chop guy. it up with? Yeah, like I feel oh, like D'Antoni would with? be that guy. I well, mean, just just have the Q&A, who you think you're going to get good quotes from. I think D'Antoni could fit that bill pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like Darvin Ham seems really intense, so I'm not sure like what his <laughs> sound bites would be like. Yeah. Obviously, he's an assistant, haven't heard much. Yeah, D'Antoni, he's Italian, he works is his heart on his sleeve. Come on. Like that's the guy for the quotes, but I don't know if it's the guy for the team between the two. I, I'm very intrigued by Darvin. Hey, he brings a little, he's kind of a mystery man, right? Don't know he much about him as, as certainly don't know as much about him as you do about D'Antoni to this point. Doug, I feel like we could get D'Antoni on and have some fun here on the podcast. If that would happen, if we could get him on, I think he would be able to chop it Figure out how to say well. his name. I've heard yeah. it all over that. You, you know, Carboni saying D'Antoni. I mean, you, you know, it, you, well, look, let's go to well, the, he's well, uh, Carboni's. I mean, you got the eye at the end of the name. Right. I mean, I think you, you, you might be the expert. Nick, whatever you say is how we're going to pronounce it wow. from now on, on this podcast. It might be wrong. I mean, I'm just simplifying it and D and Tony. Say that well. We got to right to me. Thank you for I'm explaining only a that to Italian, us. Italian, so I wouldn't yeah. trust me. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> it, it, we're, we're, we'll go D'Antoni. We've had a lot of pronunciation problems on this podcast, re- regardless of who we've been talking about. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, if D'Antoni is the guy, you know, I, I don't think we've seen him have that responsibility. It was obviously Daryl Morey with the Houston Rockets, <clears throat> with the New York Knicks and the L.A. Lakers. The, the Lakers roster was already set up. Remember, he took over, yeah. I believe, the, the Kobe Bryant-Dwight Howard experiment, which maybe that was Mike Brown. I forget the, the switching there. Um, but anyway, well, it'd be interesting too, so, right? Because Dan Tony and Kupchak have a history. So if Dan Tony does come in and says, you know, I don't, I, I would like to be yeah. a GM. That's, that's sort of odd. Yeah, no, they do have the, they do have the history that was documented when, uh, in I'll come to your organization. Ball. That's fine. But <laughs> I gotta, I need your job. 
<laughs> All right. Well, one of the decisions, and it, it it is interesting too, because we just haven't figured out exactly what's going to take place with Mitch Kupchak. It may, th- that also scares me because it feels a little, well, we'll just figure it out on the fly. And I was like, all right, well, if, what if the, what if they don't want the coach to have GM responsibilities? It does Mitch just want out. And then are they going to have to hire somebody new? I, that, that feels a little not planned and that's, that's a problem. I, I would like a plan and I haven't figured that out yet. So I, I guess we'll see what the Charlotte Hornets are going to do. Regardless, whoever is the GM, whoever is the head coach slash GM, they're going to have to figure out with what they want to do with this roster. And that includes a Kelly Oubre, who agreed to a contract that only had guaranteed money coming in that first year. So you would imagine that Kelly Oubre is very much a risk to be off of this roster next season. In fact, I would say that would be the right thing to do. But it was because of everything that went wrong, certainly in the last two thirds. We're going to look at the first third real quickly and always start with what went right. Because at that time, Doug, we were talking about this guy as being a legitimate six man of the year candidate. It felt like that would always, you know, kind of fall off, but not to the degree in which it did. He was playing so well. I know you have some of the stats too, that you wanted to talk about with the first third of the season, but the guy was shooting so well from three. He was really helping this team out. He was scoring quite a bit of points for this squad, helping them win games like in those wins he was always a pretty big contributor. Yeah, I mean, a quick look at the game log will, uh, you know, show you his impact. He was a regular twenty-point uh, score, multiple three-point, uh, multiple three-pointers per game. Um, I can show you quickly the uh, the game uh, score trend line from cleaning the glass. And you can see <laughs> this giant <laughs> hill here uh, where his game score, his impact on the game, it's it's a stat that combines a lot of different factors in the box score, essentially, to uh, measure a player's impact. And it skyrockets uh, around mid-February and then just dives off towards the beginning of the year and then uh, is below both his season average and positional average by the end of the year. So, I mean, it's just clear that first third of the season, he was in contention easily for sixth man of the year with, I think, Tyler Hero. It was like him and Hero together. Uh, and now, uh, you know, that's that's completely gone away. What'd you make of Kelly's season, Nick? I'm not even sure streaky is the right word for it because of kind of what Doug just said. I mean, he had that blip where he was like sixth man of the year candidate. This guy was such a good pickup comes in, just scores in bunches, shoots threes in bunches, goes seven for 13, six for 10, six for 13 from outside. And then in the back half of the season, like your fancy chart there shows, I mean, he was, it was like, it was like a quick feast and then it was famine for almost the rest of the year. And when a team like the Hornets is counting on somebody to come off the bench and and obviously had to start there for a while too, and he's just not producing, that had a big, that was a, big part of why this team struggled so much for the better part of almost two months. And that's really what put them behind the eight ball, got them the 10 seed in the play-in and the rest is history. I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, and it's not the only factor, but I thought it was a big factor that Kelly Oubre was just not finding the shots or making the shots that he was in that stretch that, that you show there. He wasn't a garbage time player either, right? Like no. when he, when he scored a lot of points, the Hornets 10, tended to win like in that three game winning streak 
to start the season. He had a 25-point game where he was 9 of 13 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. He had 37 points in that big win against Memphis, 118 to 108 in November. Played 31 minutes, 13 of 17 from the field, 76.5%, 7 of 9 from 3. Just monster games. During that five-game win streak, he had 37, 12, 10, 14, 16. They followed that up with a three-game winning streak after a loss to Atlanta, and he had 21 points against Orlando, 27 in, in what I thought was also a great win against Minnesota, where he was 7 of 13 from three. I mean, it's easy to forget because of those two-thirds, but there were some games where I was going like, what is happening? Kelly Uber is like one of the best shooters in the league right now. This is insane. And he was also, this is something that was easy to forget too, because his three-point percentage actually rebounded towards the end of the year, but he stopped having a big impact anywhere else on the game. And it's easy to forget that in that first third of the season, he was also a steals machine. In the month of December, he averaged 1.7 steals per game. And in the previous months, November and December, he was almost reliable for a steal a game. And I think he had a lot to do with how fast this team played, because when you went to that bench unit, you could still rely on getting out into transition because of those steals. So he's also giving you that in the first third of the season. He was... You know, he was a shooter primarily, but he was also a little bit of a multi-tool player for this team early in the year. When he was playing well, yeah. Like the defense for me, I would still put that as an overall negative, but he did have some steals. And there would be times that, like you mentioned, Doug, where he would buy in, he would grab a steal, and then they would get out and transition. But that was what was so frustrating is that 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 was nowhere near consistent. I mean, in in fact, I mean, that was an outlier, in my opinion, whenever he would show up and actually, you know, get into defensive stance and, you know, rotate, make the right decisions. There were so many times, even when he, he was playing well offensively, where I would try to, you know, I'd pause the game, I'd look back at a play, and there would just be this miscommunication on some kind of switch where Kelly was a part of it. It was always Kelly and player X somewhere. And that was always a huge problem. But we talk about the three-point shot being a really good thing for Kelly, at least early on. Doug, you know, we talked about driving Kelly being the most efficient Kelly as the season went on. And if you look, look, he actually took, so 40% of his shots this season taken were inside the three-point line compared to last year where 60% of his shots taken were inside the three-point line. He let it fly this year like Mm -hmm. no other season before that. But when he shot those two-point shots, he was really efficient because he's athletic. He was finishing well at the rim. It's just the guy wanted to let it fly. And plus, like one of the problems that I had with Kelly coming over to this team is he's a ball stopper. He's not going to move it. And this is a team that is so good at, at moving it around the court and trying to figure out who should take the right shot. Well, this guy's assist percentage was lower than it even had been in recent years. Like it, on, on this team that was among the best at moving the basketball, Kelly was just an outright ball stopper. I'm going to shoot it as soon as I get it. And that what was maddening. You know, it, there were there were some great offensive games early on, but I, I just, I mean, Nick, do you, do you feel like there's a spot for him on this team next year? Is this something you want to pursue or is it time to just say, Hey, appreciate that third of the season you gave us. It's probably time for us to move on. Yeah. I think it's the latter. I mean, it, he didn't come in and do over the course of a whole season, what he was really brought here to do. And that was to produce consistently off the bench. I mean, his numbers, like you, I think you just mentioned, were actually up year to year. But he still had, you know, I mean, his three-point percentage over the course of the season was down the pack in terms of the Hornets' statistical sheets. So 
Um, you know, it, it's an expiring contract. Obviously, it was front loaded. I think you definitely take a real hard look at what else is out there, but you do need to have somebody here that can come off the bench and shoot. You do need yeah. to have somebody uh, on this roster that can produce consistently from outside. And, and, and obviously defense is going to be a big part of their next, the next part of their evolution. So you need to get that figured out too. So he really doesn't, he only checks off one of the boxes really uh, over, over the course of his career. And he didn't do that, you know, all that well for 82 games this year. Last thing for Kelly or go ahead, Doug. No, I mean, it's all, it all comes down to how, how ready is book night. I think that, I mean, yeah. you know, can, can book night offensively replace, um, you know, and, and stay on the floor defensively. Can he replace what, what you had from Kelly? Well, and, and Kelly, one of the arguments for him coming to this team was that we knew Gordon Hayward was going to be injured at times and Kelly would be able to come in and help out and Gordon goes down. And it's funny, Kelly Oubre played better when Gordon was available and then Gordon goes down with that injury doesn't play the rest of the season and that's when we were really getting bad kelly for the rest of the year so look. kelly had 10 three-pointers made in a game this season i just i had to say in our season in review mm -hmm. we had to mention that he made 10 three-pointers in a game in which he only took 15 of them well, how many but, of that was in the fourth quarter was it nine eight of those that I he hit? have to yeah i have to look it up but uh, that was the game against indiana in january 26th when they scored 158 <laughs> points kelly Oubre dropped they had 45 in the fourth quarter kelly Oubre dropped 10 threes the, the, um so yeah look i mean there were definitely some negatives and it cost him playing time as the season went on and his role uh was really diminished uh, by the end of the season but for that just brief moment it, it was magical <laughs> we just have to give it up to kelly and and <laughs> Ubi, he was Ubi, fun Ubi. to watch he was yes. fun to cover absolutely there's yeah. no doubt and he helped them win some games it just over the course of the year, it just didn't didn't happen the way that they they probably expected or or wanted to bring them in. All right, coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Hornets Network. Sorry, I never know how much time to give you, but there you go. We're going to get it figured out at some point. Summer is coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags. You can throw them in your kids' backpacks, and you can make sure everyone has a bar so you're fueled for your summer adventures. And the best part about Built Bars is that they're healthy and they're delicious. You don't have to sacrifice one or the other. A lot of times, the bars really just top out at 130 calories, maybe 150, but they're covered in 100% chocolate. They're high in fiber and they're high in protein. They're low in sugar. And as I mentioned, they're low in those calories. Go to built.com, use promo code locked 15 and get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. We'll finish up our Kelly conversation coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. We need Mitch Kupchak to throw a party like Sam Presti. Can he party like Presti? And Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, but who are you going to get to perform? Because remember, they got Nas. I, they did get Nas. Man, who is Mitch Kupchak getting to that Nelly. party to perform? Can we get Nelly? No. Can we get P. <laughs> I hate you right now. <laughs> it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You know, as we led into the last segment, I was asking Nick, who would be the most fun coach to cover? Mike D'Antoni, probably that guy. You know, Kelly was a fun interview. You know, when, when he would have his media access, the guy, I mean, he's he loved. would talk. That's how he I mean, did it's everything. all love. It's yeah, all it's love. 
That's man. what it was. Yeah. I, I do. I do love Kelly. Like just Look, listening to him. There's a chance talk. that, I mean, listen, if they're like, okay, like he can be more consistent. Like if it's, it's not like it's a sure thing, like he's gone to me, maybe it is to some other guys, but he, he certainly provides that level of intrigue with what you've actually seen off, off the court and on it. The problem is he he clearly, and this is a similar situation that they faced with Montres Harrell. Both players gave them great contributions off the bench, but neither player is satisfied <laughs> with coming off the bench. That's right. You know, I so know, both of them want to Kelly start. When he got here, it was like, hey, are you comfortable coming off the bench? Well, like, clearly that should have been the case and was and, the case for the majority of the season. Yeah, and and you know, so often you know people wonder why certain players are are journeymen, and and I think a lot of times it's because of their desire to start, and and their uh, their frustration with not being able to do so, and so that ends up you know meaning that they move from organization to organization, waiting on that opportunity for you know an injury or some kind of situation that inserts them into the starting lineup, and they stay there, and that you know. Kelly, Kelly did get a couple of opportunities, but but nothing nothing stuck. Well, and here's my problem, too, with with those wishes from Kelly. And I remember this from the interview that he had with Rod Boone. He kind of talked about wanting to stay in the game longer to get a rhythm. I've had my problems with James Borrego and his short leash pulling players when there was some foul trouble or not a, like they miss a shot, they miss a defensive assignment, and he immediately pull them. Right? We know the mad scientist way of James Borrego. He gave Kelly Oubre a lot of opportunities, especially defensively, especially at the beginning of the season. The guy still averaged 26 minutes per game, and a lot of the heavy lifting is done by that first third that we keep talking about, but he had a ton of opportunities. And so when Kelly says, I need to be in the game to try to get this rhythm, okay, that may be true for every player in the NBA. But I'm sorry, there are consequences to you missing a million shots and continuing to take them. And at some point, you're going to have to bring in Cody Martin or you're going to have to go with a different rotation. Jalen McDaniels, who was actually out here defending and not missing a million shots. And this happened with Golden State, too. You know, we, we know at the beginning of this season. He was maybe even just mini camp and going down to Miami with the guys saying he's ready and he was already having the most fun he'd had in years playing basketball with Charlotte. And I think that that, that might have come out to be true at the end of the season. I don't know. But at the same time, we know that he wanted to have a better role. We, we He wanted to be in the game longer. And it's like, dude, yeah. you're, this this is warranted to at least at the at, to some degree. The difficult part of his defensive issues were his defensive issues were often a, a result of some offensive struggles. And, and what I mean by that is like he would take a lot of quick threes and missed quick threes in today's NBA lead to transition opportunities. And, and it just so happens that he really had very little interest in playing transition defense a lot of the times. Like a half court, uh, you know, I mean, he, a lot of players on this team were getting back cut and, and not paying attention on defense. And so I'm not really going to fault Kelly over anyone else. But I thought particularly he was one of the worst transition defenders on this team. Uh, and if you look at the uh, D LeBron numbers uh, from Basketball Index, which a lot of people do to get some indication of defensive impact from players on this team, uh, Kelly Oubre was... Uh, second to last by quite a big margin. Third to last was Isaiah Thomas. Last was James Booknight. Kelly Oubre mm. at negative 1.39 uh, 
uh, was you know one of the worst defensive players by a significant margin on this yeah. team. I mean, when when the only people behind you are Isaiah Thomas and James Booknight, who didn't get a ton of time this season, and Isaiah Thomas is like 5'10", you know, and well-established, not a good defender in this league. It goes to show exactly what took place from Kelly Oubre. Nick, what are some what are some things that you want to see? Who Who is your favorite to get the head coaching job here with the Charlotte Hornets as far as like who you kind of wanted to see? Did you have a problem with an assistant? coming in did you want it to be a well-established guy we haven't gotten your thoughts in so long um after they moved yeah, on from James I mean I, Sam Cassell's not on the list I really like the idea of him because I think he checks cool. the two boxes that you would need uh you know a, a former player a former guard a longtime assistant somebody that uh is clearly gonna you know relate to the players uh, um but also bring some coaching chops in you know I think Darvin Ham maybe you know, kind of in the same boat with that, a little bit different of a career, obviously, than Cassell. I did think there needed to be some big names on there, some some former head coaches. So D'Antoni, like, yeah, I, I think that that's – I know there's a lot to say about him. I know there's a lot of disappointed, you know, fans of various teams that he's coached and didn't get as far as they thought he should, but the guy's Got 50 still wins. Got, yeah, got to conference finals. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy with Doug's that number. And he's won 672 games in the NBA. So that intrigues me as well. So the list is a little different than I thought it would look in terms of who the names are, but I think there needed to be some big names. I mean, as those are the top two guys, D'Antoni and Darvin Ham. I think we've established that the other okay. guys on the list to me, like Atkinson and some of the other assistants Vanterpool, I know is, is intriguing too, but like, you fired James Borrego and how are bringing it, how is bringing in another assistant who developed guy like we're past that point with this team, right. I think. And it needed to be somebody that takes them to that next level. Yeah. Anyone that's anyone that's disappointed, any fan base that's disappointed with Dan Tony as a head coach is a spoiled fan base because they have tasted the, the yeah. nectar of playoff series wins. I am, I'm, I'm thirsting. I am dehydrated. I want, I want to play in win. I mean, I, I'll take a play in win at this point. Um, so yeah, here's the thing. I don't even, honestly, I don't even think the head coaching uh, role is the most important role. I've been watching these playoffs. Clearly, the Charlotte Hornets need to forget about head coach. They got to go out there and find a DJ Khaled, right? I mean, they need to find somebody who can sit behind the bench, give a little <laughs> massage to the head coach, okay. and get everybody fired up in the arena. Who is going to be Charlotte's DJ Khaled? That's what I want to know. Well, I mean, we know the baby is over at the Spectrum Center very Let's frequently. Go. Maybe he could be that. What are guy. his massage skills like? I don't know. <laughs> we don't. We that's don't want him there. We do know that he's there yeah. a lot, but that is true. Yes, we we should have. That that's been the second controversial figure I think I've brought up. And like, I don't know a ton about him. I'm gonna have to yeah. do my research. Gonna be no, honest with you. Yeah, we we don't really it's need him there. there. We just know that he's out there at the Spectrum Center a lot. Um, Master P, though, we just heard that, oh, and yeah. maybe he could be the guy. You've already brought that up. I don't know. Yeah, Massage P. Maybe we could call him. Call him that. Ooh. I don't know. I mean, if J Cole wants to come to our games. That's I think true. that would be an acceptable uh celebrity fan in the building i think that would be extremely acceptable hey you know there's one coaching name we haven't mentioned that was barely mentioned right at the beginning of this process we have i don't think we've mentioned it one time on this show and it is, is it? jerry stackhouse <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> if go michael ask, jordan how that's going if michael jordan 
Hire Jerry Stackhouse to be the next head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Could you imagine? I I would love that scenario, though, right? Because you would have Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak, Buzz Peterson and Jerry Stackhouse. As your What's Mount Anton Rushmore. Jameson up to? Yeah, Did he join the party. He's a scout. Like that, he's a scout. Bring him Sheed, on. Bring, bring him on. Sheed back. Bring oh, Sheed back. Let's in go. The Sheed's a, is it, he's in coaching. Sheed's coaching right exactly. now. Exactly. Right? My, my, my nostalgia, my childhood love for basketball would come out immediately. <laughs> so. The Hornets would have to wear switch to Argyle something. Yeah, just let's Argyle just, alternates. Let's transition every year from teal to Carolina blue, just a little <laughs> more so. Those city editions, they're going to be looking a lot like what they wore in Chapel Hill back in the 80s at some point. All right, that'll do it for Lockdown Hornets. Thanks to Nick for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Nick Carboni, WCNC. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Make your second listen Locked On NBA from the first jump ball of the play-in tournament to the last possession of the finals. Locked On experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.